Dotnet Rocks episode 640 with guest Gail Fratur, recorded live Saturday, February 19th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome to .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin here in New London, Connecticut. Richard Campbell in Vancouver, British Columbia. Hey, Mr. Campbell. How are you, my friend? I'm well. Uh, Today's show is a little interesting. Um, It's going to sound a little bit different because it was recorded on Saturday uh, at the New York City Code Camp where I was. And uh, we talked to Gail Frittier about PostSharp. Right, right. And I was still back in Vancouver. I actually did the engineering and captured both your lines. It's just funny that you and Gail were together, but had to sit in separate rooms to do the recording. Yeah, it's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's a good show, and uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But first, let's talk about uh, Silverlight and Better Know Framework. All right, my friend, what do you got? All right, I want to talk about binding expressions, okay? You know, if you have the value of a property, you can set the value explicitly. Or you can use curly braces and use the binding keyword. Right. And if you use the binding keyword, then you have a whole bunch of properties that you can set on this binding. Like the element name is the name of the XAML element that you're going to bind to, right? Mm-hmm. And the path is essentially, uh, you know, the property of that element that you want. There's a couple of other really important ones, but a cool one is the is async property. Oh, what's that do? Is async gets or sets a value that indicates whether the binding should get and set values asynchronously. Oh, very nice. So if you're binding to something uh, that is going to call out to a web service or to another service or might take a long time, um, you can say is async and your UI essentially won't freeze while it's going to get that value. Now you might say, all right, but what's the default? You know, well, I want to show something. Well, there's also a fallback value property that you can set. Nice. Yeah. So you set the fallback value property, then you set is async and you bind it and uh, you go can go off and do something asynchronously in the element that you bound to. Bob's your uncle, so to speak. And Bob's your uncle. <laughs> <laughs> And there's a really good example in the documents. Just uh, look up binding dot is a sync property. Nice. And you'll find that on MSDN. There's a really good example. That's good. So, Richard, who's talking to us? Here's an interesting email for you. And I I bring it up because I wanted to talk about this, actually. Uh, Hi, Carl and Richard. Love the show. You guys do great work. This is not a question directly related to .NET, but I'm really interested in your thoughts of why Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer was not invited to the tech summit with Zuckerberg, Jobs, Smith, and other heavyweights, do you buy the argument that it had to do with geography? Or is geography or the symbolism of the Silicon Valley really so important that you would ignore a Dow Jones company that's two states away? Come on, everybody knows he was getting his teeth filled. Nice. Carl (laughs) has previously mentioned that Microsoft is not primarily known for innovation the way that Google, Apple, and Facebook are, but even if their strong point is improving on innovations of others using their vast resources, wouldn't it make sense to include them? Yeah. And I thought about this question, Mike, and you know what hit me? You know who wasn't there that you really can't justify from geography? Um, Larry Ellison. Okay. Larry Ellison's right in the Silicon Valley. Oracle's right there. 
They own Java. You know, they bought Sun. They have all of this stuff. They weren't invited either. Right. So I don't know. And honestly, I wonder about how tricky it is to get all those people together at the same time, too. Although I got to imagine when the president calls, you pretty much drop everything. Pretty much. But I'm not going to read too much into it. Yeah, nor should you. That's that's just the way it goes. Anyway, I didn't get invited either. So yeah, come on. we didn't get invited. They didn't ask us nothing. No. Uh, but Mike, thanks so much for your email, and I'll uh, send you out a mug right away. And if you've got questions, concerns, or just want to know what we think about something, send us an email. at franklins.net. Hey, Richard, you know we have a new website. Yes, we do. We talked about it a little bit, but uh, it's really been up now for a few weeks, and it stood the test of uh, of time, as it were, of geek time. One of the things that we have on there is uh, the Discuss framework that uh, Scott Hanselman has on Hansel Minutes, also um, linked to Facebook and Twitter. So essentially, we w- we're encouraging you to leave your comments. Don't send, don't, you know, forget about sending us your emails about things that you liked or didn't like about a show. I mean, you can do that too, but we would prefer if you shared it with the world right there on the .NET Rocks website page. Just click the comments icon and go ahead and add a comment. And you can link it to your Facebook and Twitter account too. Also, I want to mention the big orange banana, you know, in the, uh, in the website, personalized RSS. So if you click on that, we, we started tagging our shows. And you can select, you can create your own custom feed that's based on the tags. So if you want a feed that only has stuff about F-sharp or Connect or Silverlight or C-sharp or whatever it is, HTML5, just check off the tags that you want. Say, create my feed. Boom, you've got a URL. Put that right into iTunes or whatever it is you want or your own website if you just want to follow what we're talking about on a particular topic. Uh, there you go. It's a personalized feed. We have a tag cloud at the top. Um, you can click the all tags button. It shows the most popular tags at the top of the show. But um, but there you go. I there think, you go. Uh, I th- it's worked out really, really well. And of course, the RSS tag, if you just want all the shows, um, it's it's big. The If you just click the RSS button now, you get all the shows, not just 20 shows. We also have links to the Zoom Marketplace, to iTunes. We have a fan page on Facebook. You can click that or follow us on Twitter. We are just uh, all sorts of online now. Doing our best to uh, connect up with you any way you want to talk. That's right. So, Richard, let's uh, roll the interview that we did on Saturday at the New York City Code Camp. Richard, our guest today is Gail Freture. Uh, Gail is the founder of Sharp Crafters and one of the creators of PostSharp, the leading aspect-oriented framework for .NET technologies. Gail's passion for programming goes back 20 years. He's a frequent speaker at user groups and conferences, and Gail is Belgian and resides in the Czech Republic. He's married and has three kids. Welcome, Gail. Hi. We are actually uh, at the New York City Code Camp, Gail and I, in two different rooms separated by a wall, calling back to Canada. Yes, isn't it crazy? (laughs) Did you love the technology we use for this stuff? It's hilarious. It is hilarious. That's crazy, you know. I traveled traveled 6,000 miles to record this talk, and we end up in different rooms. Yeah. Synchronizing by phone. (laughs) That's technology. Just to get a good, clean audio signal. Yeah, and talk to a guy on the other side of the continent as well. Yeah. So, Gail, how is aspect orientation going these days for you? Aspect orientation is going well. We 
convinced the many companies that it was worth their time and investment and attention. Uh, so last time we, we recorded, it was in November 2007. Mm-hmm. So it was the, the, the very beginning of the success of Paul Sharp. I think after the recording, uh, you can see in Google Analytics at this time, it started to take off slowly. So I think I have some depth to you guys uh, because it, there is a correlation between this take off and, uh, and uh, .NET Rocks. And um, so last year we decided to to make the make the product commercial uh, because users wanted more support, more features, and I could not just do it in my free time. So we started in uh, in March of last year and uh, got a a good bunch of first customers. So it's 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 going well, and uh, at every code camp or conference uh, I'm speaking, at, I'm really able to raise interest. So I'm very happy with that. Cool. Now, um, aspect-oriented programming, because we haven't talked about this in a while, and uh, I would say it's, uh, I don't know how popular it is, so I, I can't say one way or the other, but the whole idea here is to remove um, stuff from your code, or, or code, from the code that you're working on, so, so that you don't ever have to see it. And is the idea then that you end up with cleaner code? more testable code or just e- does it just make it easier to find the code that you're looking for in uh when you're when you're bouncing around from module to module or all of those things so so the idea is that there there is code that that you you don't want to see and is there because you you need it so what you want to see is the business code the, the code doing the real business operations but it's not enough to make the the application work in production conditions. So you would have to add some exception handling, tracing, uh, security code, uh, threat synchronization, locking, and so on. And this code actually doesn't contribute to the business functionalities of the application. But if you don't have it, it doesn't work. So say 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 for instance that there is a there is an issue in production and you need to trace every method of your application and record the value of the parameters uh, in production because you are not able to reproduce the issue, the issue with a debugger. So with aspect oriented programming, you can create an aspect. So so hold on a second. What is an aspect? You say you create an aspect. What is that exactly? So an aspect is a class that describes a transformation of your code. So what the aspect would would uh, would contain in case of tracing. If you want to trace uh, before the execution of the method, you want to trace the value of every parameter. The aspect would be a class deriving from a class on method boundary okay. with one method on entry. And inside this on entry, you would have tracing logic. I see. So an aspect des- describes a behavior you want to add to methods or classes. I see. So, f- so first you do the aspect. One class may be very easy, and then you apply the aspect to to target. So once you have the, the the tracing aspect, you can add it to complete applications or complete namespaces in just one line of code. So is that one line of code in the constructor of a class? No, it it, it would be, for instance, in your assembly info.cs, you would say that you apply the aspect to the assembly, so you don't have to edit your business. So you're not actually modifying the code of the application itself? So what the AOP frameworks does is that 
it will modify not the source code, but the output of the compiler. I see. This is how uh, a post-compiler framework does. Hence the name PostSharp. Oh, yes. PostSharp is, is, uh, is because it is a post-compiler. Right. Indeed. So it, it happens after, after the compiler, takes the output of the compiler, transforms it, writes it back. Right. But this sounds like something you would only use for tracing and logging. It happens to be the hello world example. Right. So it's the first thing that that we show. So uh, hmm. yes, people think it's the only the only feature that that's useful for which uh, is useful. But uh, uh, you can you can use this, for instance, for uh, for implementation of I notify property changed. Oh, yeah. So in WPF we have uh, this data binding, great feature. You know, you just yep. you just say that. Uh, the text property of, of the text box is bound to uh, the name property of of the current context. Okay, and you don't have to 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 write the glue, but you still have to implement the interface. I notify property changed, and you have to implement it in every property that you're binding. And if you forget, guess what? It doesn't work. Yes. So it is just yeah. three lines of code, okay? But three lines of code in every property, in every setter. So. In every setter. So, so an aspect for this would look like uh, let's add a behavior to every property setter, and this behavior would do what? It would look at the current value of the property, compare it to the new value, and if it is different, raise the event property changed. So yeah, that it's thanks to the aspect, you you don't have to modify every property setter. So what you would do is put the aspect on the base class of your entity model or business model, and say that it is if that uh, that it is inherited, and you never have to think about uh, implementing identifier property change again. So, is there a danger, Gail? Because I I love this idea, and I would imagine myself going nuts with it. Is there a wall that you can hit, or uh, can you go too crazy with this so that your code becomes out of control and starts doing? Th- I mean, that seems to me the danger that you use it for so much. That, uh, you know, if you have a bug in your aspect, for example, it could manifest itself in nasty ways. So if you have a bug in the, in the aspect, and actually it's much, it's much safer than having a bug in, uh, in the implementation of the manual lines. Okay. Because mm. if you have a bug in the aspect, you correct the bug once. Mm. And yeah. if you change your mind and you don't want to implement identify propositions this way, but another way, then you have to correct the same bug hundreds of times. So, you are so right. Uh, that said, that said, uh, EOP is a sharp tool, and with with any sharp tool, you should you should pay attention. You can go, you can you can do wrong things if you want. Uh, the framework would would try to well prevent you doing that. There is some kind of guards and checks, and uh, so so EOP is is a robust approach to uh, to uh, to programming. Your point is definitely well taken. All I was thinking was, don't run with scissors. Yeah, exactly. This That's stuff why is sharp. sharp. <laughs> you can you can cause problems, but you know, all good tools can hurt you. Of course, I mean C sharp, you can do that too. So um, the the tool post sharp does it not only include the framework, but lots and lots of different aspects. So the framework itself, it it doesn't contain aspect that you can use out of the box. It is a framework. Uh, that allows you to create the aspect. So it gives you 
the blocks, and then you have to you have to uh, to implement the aspect. But I imagine once the once aspects are created, they can be reused quite a bit. No, these aspects are given as samples. So you take the sample code, modify it, and for instance, notified property changed. It is uh, 50 lines of code, and probably in, uh, in every application, it is implemented a little differently, and people have different kind of uh, of custom business frameworks and so on. So we give the we give the source code of this aspect, and uh, you can you can start from from this. But PostSharp itself doesn't provide you with aspects; it provides you with a toolkit that lets you build aspects. So it sounds like these aren't uh, aspects aren't like custom controls that you can just drop on and and add, you know point to your assemblies and magic happens. You really do have to think about how they fit into your application. Yes, but um, typically if you have a large team or even even a large a large department of development, one of the teams is responsible to deliver the architecture. This team select the type of applications and frameworks uh, that will be used in the architecture. They create the base business framework. So they would say, we will use Enharbonate, uh, we, will, we would use Castle, and we would use uh, PostSharp. And they, they would create the business framework, the base classes, and so on. They would create design patterns and deliver to, to the line of business developers or to the UI developers say, this is the way we would like you to code as a team. So normally, the, the architecture guys would do the aspects, do the low-level stuff and play with the locks and so on, and deliver to the teams ready-made aspects that work just out of the box. This is how you can really separate the concern of everybody. The architecture team is responsible for the technical sites of the software and the business teams do the business process, user interface, and so on. Now, when we talked to you in 2007, PostSharp was just a, a, an open source project, wasn't it? Yes, it was It was an open source project in version uh, 1.0 or 1.5, I don't remember at this stage. Mm-hmm. Now we, we did, a, we did a, a new version, much more robust. And this new version is available as a commercial product. Okay, but and there's still a community edition available. Exactly. So uh, most of the features of the former well, open source edition are in the in the free edition. Okay. So why make a retail version? Well, because we had we had to make to make to make a living of this. Right. Um, <laughs> That's the best answer I've ever heard. <laughs> you have a free version. Well, I'm sorry. That's funny. Yeah. Because if yeah. Free version was fun, but I couldn't eat. <laughs> Sorry, Gal. <laughs> but also, I mean, folks obviously started using this and wanted more and more from it. And, uh, you know, you, if you're going to work that hard on it, you've got to be able to pay your bills. Yes, exactly. The first, the first step I took in, in 2007 was uh, consult half-time and do half-time on post-travel free. Uh, and it worked during one year, two years, and then I figured out... Um, there's no way to continue this way. Right. So now, and, and it's, it's, it's not just me. Users told me repeatedly, uh, we want a commercial version. We want to be able to pay, to pay you for your work. But, you know, we are commercial companies. If we are not forced to pay, we will not pay you because it is how business works. Do a commercial version, we will buy it. Right. Many users told, told this in 2008, 2009. So we went for it. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik. So you know all about the power of ASP.NET MVC, but you might be in need of some good tools to enhance your productivity. Well, our friends at Telerik just shipped the latest release of the Telerik extensions for ASP.NET MVC, 18 jQuery-based native MVC extensions. 
Now you can enhance productivity by remaining in control of your views without having to write all HTML, CSS, and JavaScript by hand. Did I mention that the Telerik MVC extensions are also free and open source? Plus, now you can check all MVC online demos in both ASPX and Razor views since the extensions offer full support for ASP.NET MVC 3 and the Razor View engine. Download your free copy today at Telerik.com slash free MVC. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about multi-threading aspects because I'm I'm reading the the uh, PostSharp uh, definition, you know, on your website, and uh, you mentioned that multi-threading is a good application for aspects. How would that look? So there are, there are two things uh, in multi-threading that that you can solve with uh, with aspects. The first is putting a method on a thread. For instance, if you are if you are doing a a user interface, you are doing database accesses, then you know that you, you, you cannot do I.O. or too slow I.O. On, on the user interface thread. Because if you are doing that, you are blocking the, the message queue and the user interface is freezing. So you have to do I.O. and database access on a worker thread. Yeah. So what you could do with Spot Sharp, instead of calling thread pool dot thank you work item or whatever, you could do an aspect like on worker thread attributes, and then you put this custom attribute on the on the method that needs to work asynchronously. And you can do the opposite thing when some methods need to work on the GUI thread because they they update the user interface. You would put an attribute that dispatches the method to the user interface thread. So just by annotating the methods with the right custom attribute, you can. Uh, you can define on which thread every method runs. And it yeah. can clean up the code quite well. And, you know, C-Sharp 5 is going to make to make this uh, much easier to, to, to work with multi, multi-threading. But the point right. here is that this feature has been, has been available for four years or five years. We are not waiting for C-Sharp 5. You can do this today. You could do this with yesterday. Right. The second point is that once you have multiple threads, you need to... Synchronize access to shared resources. That means using logs. And one of the one of the way to to avoid deadlocks is to use reader writer logs. So when you need write access to an object, you take a, a a write log. And when you need just to read it, you take a read log. You can have multiple read logs concurrently, but you cannot have a write log concurrent with with a with a read log. So if you have to play with this primitive, log call, reader, writer, log slim, dot, acquire reader log, and so on, uh, is going to uh, add blow to your code. And what you can do instead of that, make an aspect, for instance, read log attribute, and you and then you you annotate the methods of your of your code with read log, write log, and so on. You know, so. Yeah, I think what you say about C sharp five is is a good point that you know a lot of this stuff is going to be obsolete. But if you are doing locking, I think that I would prefer to know where my locking is. I mean, hiding threading code is scary to me, and I need you to allay my fears. Oh, but it's it's you know you don't hide this first in this case in case in case of read uh, well thread locking. Uh, you would not use uh, one card to say, I, I need a, a read log on all the methods uh, of this namespace. It makes no sense for this kind of aspect. What you would do is to add a custom attribute to, 
to every method requiring a lock. So what you have is that instead instead of having a code that does it, well, you have a custom attribute on your method. So the code is is uh, is more readable, and you don't lose the information that the uh, that you have a lock. You still know from reading the code, you still see that that there is a lock. You just don't see the implementation. And I think the the point there is that this is code that you probably wouldn't write yourself because you'd have to write it on every method. But when you do have code that is consistently written on every method, you can do things that you wouldn't normally think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what's what's new in Postgres too uh, is that inside. So inside Visual Studio, when some method uh, is enhanced by an aspect, it would be lightly underlined inside the code editor so that you see, just by reading the code and seeing the code, you see, oh, there is an aspect on this method. Then you move the cursor, and in the tooltip, you see the list of all the aspects that have been applied. So uh, this is a way to mitigate uh, um, this issue, that you are not sure which aspects are where. And uh, uh, actually, in large teams, uh, it's very likely that your colleague added an aspect to, to your code, and uh, it's 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 okay. It's okay if you are able to see that. And then, so that's one of the most important features in .NET in Postgres two is this is this IDE support. So I think that the that these fears of uh, the the code uh, were changing behind the to under the hood without without any control. So. Mm. There is there is a part that is that is a little a little irrational. There is a part that is justified, and for this part, we offer the tools uh, to to um, to increase visibility and to uh, and to increase understandability of the code. Do you ever get feedback from uh, customers telling you or or showing you code that they've written with aspects that you didn't think of? doing and you said whoa that's an interesting application um yes i've i've uh, visited uh i visited a customer and I've, I've been very interested to see uh, a large scale undo redo aspect the customer is doing a, a 3d editing software so they have a complex object model with hundreds of objects and thousands of properties and uh uh, the undo redo aspect would actually record every change to every field of wow. the domain, and it's just the aspect is just uh, some lines of code, and then undo and redo. That's brilliant. Yes. What is what is well undo redo? You just have to record yeah. that this field had this value and now has a new value. What is undo? Undo yeah. is well assigning the the old value and redo is assigning the new value. So that's great. That's easy. What's hardest was hardest to record everything, and this right. is made super easy with uh, with AOP. That's my favorite example so far of aspect oriented programming. Yeah, Easy. I agree, Richard. And and plus, you could do stuff like actually save the undo redo stack separately, so that you could even reload an an object uh, or a, a document and go back and replay it, even look at it as a log. Like you're just taking this whole thing to another level. Transaction log, uh, like. Restartable applications and so it was. It was. It was uh, very nice to see that. And what was what was also nice to see is that I see they had problems with .NET 1.5, and uh, I anticipated these problems. And there was already a, a solution in version two, even if if I did not see the problem with uh, in in real code. So, for instance, they 
there were issues that the undo-redo aspect would interfere with the notified property change aspect and so on. And these issues were solved in .NET uh, in Postgres 2. So I was I was very happy to, uh, to to see this code and very great application. So I think the only real problem with PostSharp is that Anders Halsberg doesn't like it. <laughs> now why is Maybe. that? Well, I I saw the video of Anders. I uh, was at PDC ten, where he yes. he was fairly negative about aspect oriented programming as a whole. I don't think he was picking on PostSharp per se, but he was uh, he he did not want to put AOP into C Sharp. Well, that's good for PostSharp, I guess. But you know that that's that's there there are two there are two things. There is well, supporting AOP is one thing, and then inserting AOP into C Sharp is another thing. So should there be direct support of of AOP inside C sharp? I know directly. Uh, I would not. I would not answer. Would not answer positively. Uh, I think it would be. It would be uh, like a, a big open door. You know, it's it's. It, well, so AOP is a huge stack. You add a lot of semantics to the to the language. So I don't think that the language is is the right way to uh, to implement this. Right. It's. If you look at what what happened in the Java world, they started they started the project the Aztec J, and it started as a language extension, right. defining new keywords. Uh, and now the current versions of Aztec J are not implemented uh, using new keywords, but using annotations. Because remember that in 2001, 2003, uh, Java did not have annotations. .NET had. Right. Thanks to the annotations, we could have AOP in .NET without support of the language. So this question: Should the language support AOP? I would I would answer no. This is not necessary. I think the language should stay thin. It should stay very uh, uh, well minimal, as minimal as possible. We don't want C sharp to be compared. Uh, however, there are things that can be done to 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 make the support well the support easier and and to to. To improve the experience, okay. So, but there, so there, there are two things: supporting in the language, and I perfectly agree with with the position that it should not be integrated in the language. But then, being uh, completely, completely opposed to AOP by principle, uh, I think this is where I I don't agree anymore. I think that there there is a uh, there is a point for AOP, especially in business applications, um, and there is there. There are many many customers that are, uh, want AOP, and it's, it's 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 not only outside of you know it's it's, it's not just us. Look at look at ASP.NET MVC. They have the action filters. Right. What is action filter? No AOP. Look yeah. look at WCF. They have custom behaviors. Yep. That's a form of AOP. Uh, so many frameworks need AOP and implement it in a, in a partial way because they don't have the they, they they don't have the right technology. So there is a need for AOP. It has been recognized in many many projects. I cited ASP.NET uh, MVC, WCF, Unity, Policy Injection Application Block. These are just Microsoft projects. Uh, uh, Gail, a lot of this sounds like stuff that dependency injection could do as well. Well, dependency in- Dependency injection is is great. It works with AOP. If you are happy to add new behaviors just to the boundaries of your service. Right. So suppose that you have a client and a service. The client calls the service. It crosses a boundary. If at this point you want to add you want to add an aspect, that's great. But what if what if you you need 
to add an aspect inside the service because the aspect is on the domain object, for instance, and do we do. Right. So you cannot use, you, you can't use dependency injection. Or what would happen is that uh, what the framework would say, you can, you can do AOP with, uh, with any object, but you need to make every property virtual, for instance, or any method virtual. Because if it is virtual, then we are, we are able to, uh, to add code at runtime. This is what happens mm. with, in Hibernate. I tell you, we support lazy, lazy loading, which is an aspect. We support lazy loading. Please do all your properties virtual. So what's happening there is that you are changing the architecture of your code, uh, simply to, to, uh, to, to offer a hook to the AOP framework or to the dependency injection framework. And in, mm. in some cases, you are creating suboptimal code, wrong architecture, because you are optimizing for the requirements of the dependency injection framework, and you start using factory methods and so on. So anyway, what, is, what if you, you cannot use a factory method? For instance, what if you want to add a threat, threat synchronization aspect to uh, a method in WPF or WinForms? You cannot create a control with a factory method and ask it from the container. Okay. Yeah. Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActiveReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. Gail, can I switch topics here and talk about testing? Um, it, it seems to me that you have a lot less tests to do when you don't have all that goo in your code. But uh, does does it do anything to code coverage if you're, if a lot of your code is not testable, shall we say? So what do we want to test? We want to test the code that was written by ourselves, okay? We don't want to test the code that was written by the framework. So there are two things we need to test. We need to test the aspect separately. You make unit tests for the aspect, and then we make tests for the code as usually. So you don't, you don't need to test the code that has been generated by the AOP framework because this code is, this code is um, well machine generated. That's okay. But the the interaction between your code and my code certainly produces a whole new thing that could uh, that could the interaction of which could fail. So that's I think I think the right answer here is it depends. It depends if the interaction uh, is uh, is orthogonal or not. Say that you have a you have a tracing aspect that you add to database code. There is no mm -hmm. interaction between tracing and database. So you don't need to test the interaction. Say that you are True. using a transaction aspect on database code. Yes, yeah. in this case, you need to test. That's clear. Okay. So right. you need, you need to test the interaction when there is an interaction. And when it is orthogonal, I think there is no, there is no need to test. You need, you just need to test the aspect and the base code separately. This is, this is what I would recommend. But no, there is one gotcha, is that some test coverage tools are not smart enough to make a difference between the code that has been generated manually and the code, uh, sorry, the code that has been generated automatically and the, manu and the manual code. Yes. So it would report a method 
coverage of 50% uh, because 50% of the code is automatically generated. Yeah. So uh, this this has been reported. I think it's an issue of the of the code coverage tool because Postgres emits all the PDB information to make clear that this is this is automatically generated code and doesn't need to be the target of a breakpoint by the debugger or code coverage and so on. Do we know anything about NUnit or uh, the testing tools in uh, the the um, TFSQ? Uh, I I don't know to which tool specifically this yeah. uh, this bug report was uh, was related to, but you know it's it's the same issue. Say that you make an iterator uh, in C sharp was it two or three three probably you can make iterators. The compiler would generate more code that you actually wrote. So right. this code would be, be uh, test coverage or no, this is generated code. The test coverage tool should be smart enough to not not to require the coverage of, of this code. I see. Gail, uh, I've heard these terms, but I don't necessarily understand the difference. So maybe you can explain it to him. Static versus dynamic AOP. So static AOP happens at the build time. Static AOP is both sharp. And in Java, it is static J, mostly static AOP. So we we change the code of your application, not the source code, but the, the byte code, the MSIL code. Dynamic AOP, it happens at runtime. So it means that most of the time, the dependency injection framework would add behaviors at runtime without recompiling your application or changing it. So this works well with with uh, with the dependency injection concept that when you want an object, you don't you don't use a new keyword and the constructor, but you ask the container, please give me an implementation of this interface. Right. And the AF, the the IOC container, if there is an aspect on 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 the service, what it would do, it would not give you the service. It would give you instead a proxy that is generated using namespace system.reflection.image. This proxy would, would implement the interface that, that you required, but instead of directly calling the service that, that implements the interface, it would call the aspect before and after or instead. Okay. So you can, you can add behaviors um, thanks to the proxy, but it will not change the service. This is, this is how runtime works. So runtime is great when... First, you, you use dependency injection. You want aspects on the boundaries of the service because you can change, you can change the, the aspects without recompiling the application. Say that your application is in production. You have a trouble. You cannot reproduce it. You want to trace all the parameters of uh, your internal service uh, that is exposed through the uh, cast reference. So um, I will take Spring.net for the example because I know this one better. So what you would, what you would do with the Spring.net, you would go to to the application configuration configuration file and you would configure this service and, and you would say that uh, this aspect, the tracing aspect, should be applied to this service. You restart the application and you have the aspect applied. With a static weaver, you will need to rebuild. So the static weavers are, are much more powerful because you can change everything in the application. You can do much much uh, richer transformations. You can uh, have well, compile time validations and many useful things. But when it is compiled, it is frozen. What you see using uh, a decompiler is what gets what gets executed. With a runtime, uh, it all it all happens at runtime, and uh, you can change it without recompiling. That's cool. Nice. 
Yeah, that's very clever. It's almost a plug-in model. The plug-in model? It, it, almost, it, it feels like it could, you could do plugins that way. Um, well, in the runtime situation, yes, the aspects work as plugins. Right. Yes, uh, because you can do aspects in separate assemblies. And uh, you can add them to, to the pipeline. Um, this, this is this is exactly what uh, yeah. what Unity does, and you can you can configure exactly. So actually, PostShop is also plugin oriented, but the plugin system occurs at build time and not at not at current time. Okay. So Gail, what's next for PostShop? What do you have on your drawing board? So we would like to to make PostShop yet easier for new users. So, um, so we would like to make a user interface uh, so that people can add aspects just using a wizard and say, um, so select the methods or use rules, but using a user interface. I think uh, that uh, many of the new people we are reaching now, uh, they don't want to read documentation or, or uh, they just want to click and see the benefit. And if they see the benefit, they will go through the learning curve. Right. So make it easier on one side, on the other side, there are some aspects that we would like to deliver as uh, boxes. So, so currently, what we have to say is that uh, we provide you with the Lego bricks, and you have to, you can do a car with it, you can do a, a plane with it, but you have to do it yourself. Right. And now, uh, what we also say, you still have the, the Lego bricks, but we also provide a plane and a car if you need it. Yeah, that's sort of what I was getting at before when I thought, wow, it'd be cool if there was a bunch of aspects that were just baked in already I could just attach to my assemblies. Exactly. So this is for this is for uh medium term, but as short term, uh so it's it's happening now. What 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 we are doing now is to improve the experience of current users and here I mean improve compile time and the correct term of the dark spots in version 2.0. So version 2.1 is basically processing the backlog, uh, fixing things that need to be fixed, and version 3 will be uh, well, out-of-the-box aspects and uh, more usability. Fantastic. And it's uh, postsharp.com? That's where we can find this? Uh, at uh, sharpcrafters.com. And I have, okay. uh, I have an offer for uh, .networks listener. Ooh. We are going to give away uh, free uh, five free licenses among those who sign up within 72 hours following the publication of this site. Nice. And to get or to sign up, go to http slash bit.ly slash post sharp rocks. Okay, and we'll also post a link to that on our webpage, .netrocks.com, in yes. case you missed that. And uh, 72 hours. So the bar- Seventy-two hours following the publication, and we will we will uh, take five of these. So you don't have to worry. You 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 don't have to hurry up if you miss the talk by one hour. You have three days. All right, great. Thank you, Gail. This sounds great. Thanks. All right, thanks for talking to us, and thank you, listener. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. 
.NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band.